We are starting Christ's Method Alone Part 2. Last week we started this new sermon series. I don't know um, how many of you were here. Uh, the sermon recording is going to be uploaded here shortly. But uh, just a, a little bit of review. Uh, what we're looking at is, is we're just basically asking the question, how can we really fulfill the Gospel Commission? You know, how can we really be effective in bearing fruit for eternity? And uh, last week we, we started looking at this concept of, of true success. Like what, what really is true success? And the reality is there is a success that's maybe not true. Um, it, there, success in fulfilling the Gospel Commission isn't about you know, how many people come to a program. It's not about how many people come to your ministry or, or how many people are even in the baptistry. Um, true success is really whether or not we're cultivating relationships of trust and influence. This may require some redefinition in our minds, rewriting of the hard drive, so to speak, because a lot of times we don't feel like we're doing church right unless there's a lot of people, unless there's a lot of things happening, like decisions being made and things like that. And while those may be measures or evidences of success, they're not the only meaningful ones. In fact, the most meaningful one is, am I cultivating daily and intentionally a relationship of trust through personal contact with someone? Why is that the case? Because the commission is to make disciples. And making disciples doesn't happen through programs and masses. Making disciples happens one at a time. Are we following that okay? Yeah? And so um, last week we looked at two verses. Two verses. John chapter 17 where he's praying. Um, hey, God, uh, this, you've given me this authority. Authority to give eternal life. And this is life eternal that, you might, that they might know you, the only true God. And then he says something about those that he is called to give eternal life to. He says that you've given me these men to give eternal life to. We looked at John 17 where Jesus has authority to give eternal life to those who are given to him. And then Matthew 28, the Gospel Commission. He has authority and because he has authority, he is giving us the commission to make disciples, i.e. to give eternal life to those that God has given to us. So if we're taking authority, Jesus' authority, seriously, then, then it's really authority to make a disciple. It's really authority to invest in someone personally. And we had this challenge last week to pray for a revelation of who God is asking us to disciple. Have you been praying? Have you been praying? This is something I've been praying for daily. Lord, reveal to me in this season of life, who is it that, not just who is it that I should labor for, no, who is it that you are giving to me? That's the language of Jesus in John 17. These are the men that you have given to me. So we're asking just like Jesus, Lord, who are you giving to me? And we looked at this quote, a quote from a book called Ministry of Healing, talking about Christ's method. And really, this is where we're getting the sermon title from. It says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. In other words, it's a very singular method, right? It's not a ton of other things. It's just this simple process of following the example of Jesus. This is what's going to lead to true success. In the, next, in the rest of the paragraph, it says this. The Savior did what? He mingled with men as one who desired their good. In other words, he didn't have an ulterior motive. He just wanted to be with them for their benefit, not for his gratification or his success. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their what? Confidence. In other words, trust. Hey, you are someone that I want to influence me. And it's then 
that he bade them, follow me. If we're going to take Christ's method seriously, it's really taking Jesus' authority seriously because by his authority, we're called to make disciples. And this is a method that, that involves investing in people's lives personally through personal contact. In fact, the, the, rest, uh, the very next paragraph says this, There is need of coming close to the people by what kind of effort? Personal effort. I love that. Personal effort. In other words, nobody does this effort for you. This is something that each and every one of us as a follower of Jesus is, is gifted to do, is called to do. So there's need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing, don't say amen too loudly, and more time were spent in what kind of ministry? Personal ministry. Greater results would be seen. I'm going to ask a question. I'm not asking this out of selfish ambition, but do you want to see greater results? Do you want to see the church of God rising up, as it says in Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, you know? I I long to see God's people um, arising and shining for their light has come with greater results. And the greater results will not be through louder sermons or more sermons. It's going to be through personal ministry. Ah, that's powerful to me. The call is that by God's authority, He wants to gift us with people to invest deeply in through personal contact, through personal effort, through personal ministry. Ah, oh, man, that's powerful. <laughs> There's need of this. There's need of this. And, and God wants to see greater results. But the, the reality is, so this is stuff that we were looking at last week, but we're going to transition now. The reality is how, how do we actually engage this personal effort? We're going to break down that process of mingling and sympathizing and winning confidence in the weeks to come. But today I want us to to recognize that prior to personal effort, Jesus did something very intentional. I mean, when you, when you read the Gospels and you put all the pieces together, it seems like Jesus just kind of appears on the public scene and is suddenly in people's lives, that he can just say, follow me, and people mystically and magically follow him. <laughs> that, that's what it sounds like. But when you put all the pieces together of the narrative, you realize that Jesus... He is very intentional about the process of getting to know people and getting in people's boats, so to speak. <clears throat> and what's interesting to me is that be, even before you read about, uh, who, is, who are the first two? It was uh, Andrew and, was it Andrew and John? Yeah, Andrew and John. In, the, in John chapter 1, you read about two of John the Baptist's disciples who see the Lamb of God and they, they go following after him. The reality is that prior to that experience, do you know where Jesus was? He was praying 40 days in the wilderness. Yeah? Actually, go with me to to Luke chapter 6. Go with me to Luke chapter 6, because I think prior to personal effort, there needs to be intentional secret prayer. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. You know, even before we read these, these passages, let's, um, let's bow our heads just for another word of prayer. God, we're opening up the word and we're asking that you would open up our hearts. We want more than just nicely phrased ideas. 
We long for the living word of God. We pray that by the power of the word you would transform us and as it says in John 17, 17, that you would sanctify us through your word. Thank you, Lord, that you want to speak. We just want to say we want to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 6. If you're there, say amen. All right, and this is the example of Jesus. This is the example of Jesus that we see because as, as Kim was pointing out, secret prayer is really what precedes personal effort. All right, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says this, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to do what? To pray. Okay, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued for how long? All night in prayer. This isn't just like a blip in, in the narrative of Jesus. This happens very frequently. You know, there are times where the disciples are looking for Jesus, or the crowds are looking for Jesus, and where do they find him? They find him in a solitary place where he has prayed. In this case, he has been all night in prayer to God. For what purpose? Well, let's keep reading verse 13. It says this, And when it was day, he, Jesus, called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named who? the apostles. In other words, here's Jesus, and he knows he's about to formally engage a discipling relationship with these individuals that have been hanging out with him for, you know, for some time now, up to here, Luke chapter 6. But he's saying, no, I, I know that God the Father has given to me specific individuals that I need to pour my life into. And he's going to spend all night praying, not just for them, but for himself to be exactly what they need. And this is Jesus' example, that through secret prayer, uh, secret prayer must always precede personal effort. And for us, I think the same is going to be true. This was Jesus' example. This needs to be our practice, too, that before we engage in personal effort, maybe throughout this week, you've already been thinking about people. Names have been coming to your mind. Maybe, like me, names that came to my mind, I'm like, no, not him. I actually saw that person at Walmart this week. I'm like, Okay, maybe this is God's call. And this is the kind of thing, when we pray prior to personal effort, then we realize this is not about me saying, hey, I want to win this person. No, this is about God saying, I'm gifting you this person. Will you pour yourself into him, into her? And this is what Jesus did. He prayed prior, prior to uh, investing himself personally. And we personally need to pray for that ourselves. We pray for power. We pray for preparation. We, because the reality is we don't want people to follow us. We want them to follow Christ in us. Amen? I mean, this is why, I don't know, when I was uh, reading the Bible through for the first time in high school, and I, I came across passages in, in Paul's letters where he says, I wish you were like me. Like, wow, Paul's kind of arrogant. <laughs> no, the reality is he lives, but it's not him. It's Christ in him. And so when he says, I wish you were like me, he's saying, I wish you were like the God who lives in me. Yeah. And that's, that's what secret prayer does prior to personal effort. It leads us into this experience of, of walking with Jesus. And um, in Colossians, or I'm sorry, not Colossians, Christ Object Lessons, I've been reading this in my, uh, along with my personal devotions, just going through the parables of Jesus. And this book, Christ Object Lessons, really just sheds light on a lot of the, the aspects of, the, the, of these parables that are familiar to us that I just never saw before. <laughs> and he, in this book, it says this, Personal effort for others 
should be preceded by much secret prayer. Why? For it requires great wisdom to understand the science of saving souls. Yeah, no doubt about it. I don't know if you've ever put your hand to to seeking to influence someone's spirituality and you realize, oh man, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And, um, And this is what... This is what a, a secret prayer does for us. It puts us in line with the heart of God and gives us the wisdom to understand the science of saving souls. The reality is that only God works the miracle of conversion in people's hearts. You know, we can pray. We can, we can be the, the person that, um, that, that plants a seed. We can be the person that waters the seed of truth. But really, only Jesus knows how to make that seed come to life. Yeah? And it's in secret prayer that we, we're just telling God, hey, God, do what only you can do. <laughs> it's through secret prayer that we ourselves are brought to the place of humility and getting out of the way so that we realize, hey, it's not about me and my charisma. It's not about the words that I have to share. It's about God living his life in me and through me. Ultimately, God is the one who brings the increase. We, we're just instruments of his in the process. And so today, what I want to do is, in this short time, in this short study, we're just going to um, ask the simple question, how then do I pray in order to be prepared for personal effort? How can I pray for those individuals that God is giving to me? And uh, I don't know, maybe this is elementary stuff, but I think it's something that uh, I often take for granted. But when I take it seriously... <laughs> When I actually invest in praying for people like the Bible encourages, um, maybe that's when greater results will be seen through our personal effort. And so even before we, we get into the, the prayer tips, so to speak, I want to just give you just a moment or two of silent prayer and asking God that question that we asked last week. God, who are you gifting to me? Who are you going to make me see at Walmart this week? You know, I don't know what, 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 this, what the situation is. Maybe there's already a name. Maybe there's someone in your household that you realize that you've been uh, needing to invest in more personally and intentionally. But go ahead, just take a moment or two of silent prayer and ask God, who are you calling me to disciple? God, I know that relatively speaking, this is just a a brief moment to ask and to listen. I mean, the example of Jesus, he was 40 days thick in the wilderness. He spent all night in prayer before formally appointing apostles. And Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that would inhibit us from actually hearing the call that you have for us, the, the people that you want to give to us, Um, I pray that you would do a work to silence those things or to remove those things from our lives. As we move onward in in asking the question of how to pray for these people, Lord, I pray that you would bring people, names, faces to our minds just now. So that as we're thinking about how to pray for him or her, we would be able to to recognize how applicable this is right now. Um, And Lord, if... If, if you are wanting us to wait on you even more, maybe just calling us to an experience of even fasting and praying about who it is that you want to give to us, then, um, Lord, lead us in that too. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're here. Um, before communicating with men, commune with Christ. Oh, okay. 
Oh, hey, we didn't read this one. We did this one. I'm sorry. This is the rest of the quote. <laughs> Before communicating with men, commune with Christ. That's beautiful. Uh, Before communicating with men, commune with Christ. At the throne of heavenly grace, obtain a preparation for ministering to the people. So this is our need for secret prayer. So what is prayer step number one? How then do we pray for him? How then do we pray for her? The people that were just coming to your mind, the people that God has laid on your hearts, how do we pray for them on a daily basis? Uh, Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. The first prayer step I would suggest is that we turn our desire into prayer. Romans chapter 10, and there's an example here. The Apostle Paul understood what it was to to really take Christ's method alone very seriously. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. When you're there, say, I'm there. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Here's Paul writing a letter to the Romans. And he's, he's just kind of laying out his heart of what is really on his heart. Let's see if you can hear it. Brethren, my heart's desire and what else? And prayer to God for Israel is that they may be what? That they may be saved. There's something about Paul here that I really respect. He says, my heart's desire for Israel is that they be saved. But he doesn't just leave it at my heart's desire for them is to be saved. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they would be saved. Is that they would be saved. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You desire someone to experience salvation. You desire for someone to come into a saving relationship of trust in Jesus. You desire that with all your heart, but have we turned that into a specific and formal prayer to God, a petition. That's what the word is, is here. It's, it's not just a turning of a, like a, a wish or desire. It's, it's, it's actually a demand, a heartfelt need, a petition that's heaven sent. Okay? And so this is, this is something that Paul did. He turned his desire for other salvation into prayer for other salvation. It's, it's a commendable thing to want someone else to be saved, but it's a powerful thing to actually pray for someone else to be saved. Yeah? So pray. There, there's a name in your, in your heart and your mind. There's, there's a person in your life. Pray for them that they would be saved. Pray for them by name. Pray not just generally, but with specificity. And pray specifically that God would not just bless them with a good day, but that God would save them. <laughs> that God would rescue them from the, 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 the pit of sin, the, the miry clay of, of sin and selfishness. I mean, I think about that story of the paralyzed man who couldn't bring himself to Jesus, but he had four friends who could carry him on a mat, and they wouldn't even stop at a crowded house. They actually climbed up to the top of the house, lugged him up to the top of that thing, ripped the roof off, lowered him directly to Jesus. Like those four friends who tore through the roof to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, we, through prayer, I believe, we can bring those who are burdened or excuse me, those that we are burdened for, to the Savior, even when they don't or won't bring themselves. That's a beautiful thing about intercessory prayer. I mean, I can't, I can't claim to understand the science, so to speak, of, of intercessory prayer, but there is a privilege that Jesus has given to us. He himself intercedes for us, always. He ever lives to make intercession for us, to save us to the uttermost. Hebrews 7, verse 25. And this is a, a plea for salvation. I believe that anytime any of us pleads with God for salvation for ourselves, that that, that never goes unheard. And when, how much more so when we pray for others' salvation? Yeah. 
All right, so prayer step number one, turn your desire for someone's salvation into a prayer for their salvation, okay? Prayer step number two, pray for all because God desires all. Do you believe that? God desires all to be saved? Let's go uh, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read the first six verses here together. And there's so much here. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to really be able to go line by line here, but the, the key here is that, that Paul appeals for us very specifically to pray for all. All right, when you're there, say amen. Okay, First Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, I exhort first of all, Meaning, this is my top priority. This is something I want you to do without leaving behind. Okay, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Now, Paul just kind of like lays out the whole spectrum of prayer right there, right? Prayers, supplications, intercessions, giving thanks, whatever you're communicating to God, do it for other people and do it for all other people. That, they, that these prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Oh, stop, let's stop right there. Well, what is good? What is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior? Is it living a quiet and peaceable life that, that he's talking about in verse 2? Sure, that may be good. That may be good, but what he's really talking about that is good and acceptable is praying for all. Because in verse 4 he says, "For this is sorry, starting in verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to experience what? To be saved, yeah? And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. Here's the truth. According to Paul, prayers, supplications, and intercessions should be made for all people. For all people, based on the conviction that God desires all people. Yeah? God desires all to be saved. We can pray for all because God desires all. We can pray for all because God mediates for all. There's nobody left out of the circle of His grace. We can pray for all because God has given Himself for all. And this may be a weird question. I've kind of asked this question before, just in a different form. Uh, the, the question that I asked several weeks ago was, have you ever hesitated to pray a certain prayer because you weren't quite sure God would answer? Or have you ever hesitated to pray a certain prayer because you didn't want to be disappointed by it not being answered? And I'm going to ask that same question in this context. Has there ever been a person that you have hesitated to pray for because you didn't want to be disappointed if God didn't answer the prayer? Confessions of a pastor. <laughs> this is something that there is someone on my heart that I have prayed for for over a decade. <laughs> and Debbie is, is the one who reminds me that we need to keep praying for this person. <laughs> And honestly, when it comes to my turn to pray, sometimes I just, I just kind of bypass that because, you know, I've prayed this before and I've, I've left it at that. And I'm just, man, I, 
Anyways, th- th- these are the sentiments of my sometimes unbelieving heart. But I am convinced that when Paul says, pray for all, he's saying, even that person, pray for him. Pray for her. There's nobody beyond the reach of my grace. I desire all, God is saying. I have mediated for all. I've given my life as a ransom for all. So pray for all, even him, even her. Amen. I'm preaching to myself right now. God desires their salvation just as much as, and maybe infinitely more so than I do. And maybe it's through persevering in prayer that I would eventually want their salvation just as much as God does. Second Peter 3 tells us that God wills for all to repent. And so when we pray for other salvation, that we seem are so far gone, or that we have no capacity, we feel like powerless or, or insufficient to impact their salvation, God says, you know what? You're praying according to my will when you pray for their salvation. And you can have confidence that God hears when we pray according to his will. Pray for all because God desires all. All right, last one here. Pray in light of the great controversy. Um, Let's go to Luke, Luke chapter 22. There's a time here near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry where this is actually in the context of the Last Supper, um, which is, is very fitting here. They've just come from the upper room. And Jesus has a, a, a straight-up conversation with somebody who feels a little bit too self-confident. <laughs> and in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it gives us a glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus for the disciples that were given to him. When you're there, say, I'm there. Luke 22, verse 31. says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. It's the double address, the double vocative in the Greek. It's uh, something that only happens a very few times, uh, like uh, in Acts chapter 9, when Saul is on his way to Damascus. Jesus says to him, appears to him in vision, says, Saul, Saul, right? Really tries to get his attention. The other time it happens is um, in Luke chapter 10, where Martha is busy about, you know, the house serving and getting distracted by her service. There's something that is needed to get their attention. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. You're worried, distracted about many things. And here is the other experience, or double address. Simon, Simon, trying to stop him in his tracks. He's headed in a trajectory of self-confidence and self Sufficiency that is going to end up in denial. In verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I am so thankful that Jesus ever lives to make intercession, not just for me, but for those whom we love. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I love that Jesus sees on the other side of his prayer as though it's already answered. Hey, when you've returned, when you've been converted, yeah, go ahead and, and strengthen the brethren too. All right, so, so what's this glimpse into Jesus' prayer life? One, we know this. Jesus prayed for Peter in light of the great controversy. He was fully aware in verse 31 that Satan, the accuser of the brethren, was asking claim on the soul of Peter. 
Jesus was aware of this. He's asked that the, the, that the devil has asked for, for full right, full access to sift this guy out as wheat. And it's in light of that picture of the great controversy that Jesus prays. And what does he pray for Peter? Did you hear it? What does he pray for Peter? But I have prayed for you that, one, your faith should not fail. And two, that when you return, or that you would experience conversion, that you would come back. And three, that you would strengthen other people, that you would actually be a blessing to other. I mean, just, just imagine the prayer journal that Jesus has on Peter, okay? I mean, this is, this is deep stuff. He's, he's giving a glimpse of, of those all nights in prayer, those times in the solitary places. He is praying for those that are given to him. And do we pray for those that are given to us like that? Man. So Jesus prayed for Peter. He acknowledged the spiritual warfare over his soul. And it was that awareness that shaped that very specific prayer for Peter. It was in light of that fight, that particular fight over his soul that Jesus prayed for steadfast faith, for unfailing faith, and also the capacity to experience conversion when that faith faltered. You know, we can pray for those things too. Specifically, you know, if if there's a person on your mind, man, God, this person you've given to me, I pray that they would have an unfailing faith. I pray that even if their faith were to falter, that they would experience conversion. I pray that they would be used by you to, to strengthen their brethren. We can pray those things too. But what I want us to hear in this verse is a principle, not just a specific practice of praying for unfailing faith. I want us to, to, to see that just as Jesus prayed specifically for Peter in light of the war over his soul, we can pray for our disciples, so to speak, those that are given to us, in light of the war over their soul. So in that time of secret prayer, ask God, man, Give me insight into the spiritual warfare that is being waged over my friend, over my, my coworker, over my neighbor. Give me spiritual insight to know how Satan is asking for them and trying to claim right over their hearts. And pray in light of that awareness. Does that make sense? You follow that? Yeah. Pray in light of that awareness. I think this is what Paul did on a regular basis too. When when you read the rest of the New Testament, the epistles that Paul writes to, you know, the the Galatians or the Ephesians or the Philippians, the the believers in all these different places, when you you read through those letters, you find that he's got these one-line prayers that are just awesome prayers, you know? Like, what, what Hallmark store did he go to to get all these prayers? No, he, what he's doing is he knows their situation. He knows the fight that they're fighting. And so when he prays for the Ephesians, like in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's fully aware of dynamics in their lives where their eyes are being darkened. Their hearts are being overshadowed by deception. And, and so he's praying for light. When he prays for the Philippians that your love would abound more and more in the knowledge of God, he knows that they're struggling somewhere with the capacity to love. When we invest in people, when we know that God has given us certain individuals, let's ask, God, what is the war that is going on in their hearts right now? And how can I pray for that? Yeah, we follow? I mean, man, if you want, here's a challenge. Go through all those epistles and, and you can even like kind of make a list or put them on separate cards and kind of keep those as quivers or arrows in your quiver, you know? When you realize that your friend or your, your disciple is struggling in certain ways, pray those very prayers. And this is something that God has, has called us for, called us to. And so there it is. Three simple things. Turn your desire into prayer. 
pray for all. Don't let anyone be left out of your prayer list just because you're not sure that God can answer that prayer. Pray for all because God desires all. And then lastly, pray in light of the great controversy. Here's a simple appeal to take away. Will you commit to praying daily for the people that God has given you? I mean, I would encourage you to continue. Maybe you're not quite clear. God, I'm not even sure who it is that you've given me. So maybe you need to keep that that prayer going, asking God to reveal that to you. I mean, again, Jesus took 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus took all night in prayer. Um, We we can't expect to just say, well, I think this person. (laughs) And it's not about, well, I really resonate with this person. I really have good chemistry with this person. I really feel like I would be successful in investing with this person. No, it's who is God giving you? It's not about me choosing. God is gifting us with somebody. And so commit daily to praying for those individuals, praying in light of the great controversy, praying for them with faith, praying that God would really give you influence. And then here's the second appeal. And this is kind of where we'll transition into what we get to experience today with the foot washing and communion. I would appeal to you to pray for the capacity to love these individuals, these gifts that God is giving you to disciple, regardless of whether or not they respond. Did you hear that? Just in years of my experience and stuff, I know personally that I get more fired up about investing in somebody if I know that they're going to be open to that. Right? But when we talk about mingling with people, Remember, it's mingling as one who desires their good, not just your sense of success. It's about sympathizing with their needs and winning their confidence. But is it worth the effort even if they don't respond? Yes. Yes. Why? Because we're living the life of Jesus. Jesus walked the hill called Calvary. He stayed upon a cross. Even knowing full well that there were going to be some, even many, that would not respond. Man, so let's pray for the capacity to love individuals through personal effort, whether or not they respond. The last thing I want us to turn this Christ method alone idea into is turning people into projects. No, that's not what they are. They're people. (laughs) They're precious souls. They're children of God, irregardless of whether or not they say yes. God has died for them. God mediates for them. God has given himself as a ransom for all. So let's pray for the capacity to love like that. Let's pray for the capacity to love irregardless. And and this is where we we experience Jesus, or we remember Jesus walking up to that upper room. And in John chapter 13, I believe, it says that Jesus loved them to the end. He knew where he was headed. He knew where he was going. And he knew that even amongst them, there was one who would betray him. There was another who would deny him. And all would forsake him that night. And he loved them to the end. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pray daily for those that God has given you? Are you willing to pray to love people even if they don't respond? Yeah. I want to pray for that too. I want to pray for that too. Today what we get to do is uh, something that we only do uh, what, every, every three months or so. Not because it's not important, but because we don't want it to become so routine that it loses its sense of, of sacredness. And so it's something that uh, not, 
you know, we, we don't get to do very often. It's, it's called foot washing. I don't know why we don't call it feet washing, because we wash both feet. Anyways, <laughs> um, feet washing. We'll say that just for today. And, uh, and then we're going to come back and, and receive the emblems, the, the symbols, you know, the bread and the juice. They're symbols of Christ's body and, and of his blood. But I would encourage you that this foot washing time, I would encourage you to, to pray that it would be a time of renewal. Um, amending of knots and restoring relationship with God and with each other. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to have a prayer and then we'll break. There are three separate rooms in this back building. Uh, for those of you who uh, want to partner, if, if sister to sister in Christ, if you want to partner with another lady, we've got the first room there. And then the second room is for those who want to experience this as couples or as families. And then the third room will be for those brother and brother partners right there. All right. And then we'll come back shortly. No need to rush it. But I would encourage you just to have an attitude of reverence and prayer um, as you re-enter here. Uh, we'll come with a heart that's burden-free. Yeah, A heart that um, allows Jesus to make sure that there's nothing between my, my soul and my Savior. A heart that's ready to receive all and give all to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And when we think about the call and commission to love those around us, and specifically individuals, precious souls that you are giving to us, Lord, we pray for that everlasting love, a love that's unconditional, a love that has no strings attached, a disinterested benevolence. God, we pray that uh, the things that we get to experience here uh, through action, um, that that would really put, put into our hearts a reality and make it concrete that you are making us new. We want to commit ourselves to service, to service to you and service to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.